Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Welcome into the Windy City Podcast. Mark Harmon here as we look back at episode one and two. Incredible, right? What a night of entertainment. I could have watched all 10 episodes, stayed up till five in the morning. But I do like the buildup as we get ready for episodes three and four coming up next Sunday night. So I was really hoping that they were going to do young Jordan justice. And I was concerned that they wouldn't, but they absolutely have learning about the battles with his brother. And I knew that to a point, but I didn't know they were having fist fights and Jordan talking about, Going to that level where you would fight your brother and the rage that that would bring up in you, that was a window into his competitiveness that I didn't completely understand. Super interesting. The part in Indiana, year two, broken foot, knew all about that, obviously. Knew about the battles going back with Jerry. I love the... Tylenol, would you take the pill conversation. That had been promoted. But I didn't remember that he went off in that game. In the 14 minutes that he played, I had not seen those highlights. And that was just incredible to see. I think I didn't have cable at the time. I know I didn't have cable at the time. I don't remember that at all. So the fact that he just was going ballistic in his 14 minutes, I was just smiling ear to ear. That was sweet. And, of course, the 63 in the garden was has been you know, well, well, well talked about. But I didn't know that him and Danny Ainge were playing golf the day before, and he's taunting Ainge, telling him, hey, let your boy DJ know that I've got something for him. I mean, Dennis Johnson, that dude was a world champion, playing on the best team in the league. Young Jordan having that level of brashness, I did not know that he was doing stuff like that. That was that was a little eye-opening but let me get to what's really bothering me and that of course is the Jerry Krause dynamic and for the record I've never been a Jerry Krause fan and I have been bothered by so many people who want to fly up that he belongs at the Hall of Fame that the Bulls won six titles that Krause rebuilt it twice and he deserves all this credit Let's just set the record straight here. Jerry Krause drafted one perennial Hall of Famer, one All-Star, one All-Star in his entire nearly 20-year career with the Bulls. One. Now, Scottie Pippen's a great one. But the point is, when you have Michael Jordan, the greatest player to ever play anything, he really only needed to get one thing right. And he did other things. I'll give him credit. He hired Phil Jackson. Okay. Outstanding hire. Phil's a great coach. Hall of Famer. Really good job. And he made a trade for Bill Cartwright. Which, for the record, that trade is a bad trade on any other team other than the Bulls. Michael Jordan makes Bill Cartwright look good. And yes, he fit here. But he was operating with this luxury that you could bring in guys here that are going to look good, like John Paxson, 
who might have been out of the league. Same thing with Steve Kerr. These guys are marginal players that Jordan made look good. Now, Cross, to his credit, understood that they fit, but don't tell me that he gets some huge credit for bringing in Dennis Rodman for Will Purdue. That's a no-brainer trade, and Rodman's a disaster anywhere else, but he works here with Michael. My point being, and I said it a zillion times at the time, when Michael's gone, he's never going to win anything because he won't have that luxury to make his, his moves look good. And when Michael left, they were an abject disaster. And Jerry Reinsdorf, who loved him, had to fire him. But let's go back in time here. Let's just do a little history lesson on how good the Bulls could have been and how this thing could have been extended out to 10, 11 championships. Easily could have happened. Even with, by the way, Michael leaving for baseball because his father got murdered, and I'm very interested as to what they're going to do about that part in the documentary. And David Kaplan's coming up here on our uh, on this podcast, and Cap's got some interest, interesting information on what's to come in the doc. But uh, we'll get to Cap in a second here. So let's go back in time. Let's go to 1989. The Bulls had three picks in the first round. They picked Stacy King, number six overall. They picked B.J. Armstrong, number 18 overall, and they picked Jeff Sanders, number 20. Now, who else was in that draft? Stacey King was, at best, a quality backup, and that's reaching. In that draft was Nick Anderson, Tim Hardaway, Sean Kemp, Cliff Robinson. Think about that. You could have picked Anderson, Hardaway, or Kemp instead of Stacey King at six. Cliff Robinson went in the second round. Now, I, I can already hear people saying, well, you know, you can't get all of them right. Yeah, well, let, let's, let's, let's keep going here. Because imagine what that team would have looked like if the Bulls had Sean Kemp, who they met in the finals in 96, on that team. Oh, my God. Nick Anderson. Oh, my God. Tim Hardaway. Oh, my God. Didn't happen. King, BJ, and Jeff Sanders. All right, now let's move along. We could go to 19. Here's the thing. He always got it wrong, with the exception of Scottie Pippen. So one, you would just think that one time Krause would get it right. 1992, Bulls picked Corey Blunt. Nick Van Exel was there. 1993, they picked Dickie Simpkins. Dickie Simpkins. Wesley Person was there. Good off guard. Move ahead. Let's go 1995. The Bulls picking number 20, they take Jason Caffey. Michael Finley is the next pick. Now, how in the world could you possibly look at Jason Caffey and Michael Finley and decide that Caffey is better? Don't tell me that he's some great GM. I'm sorry. That is not a rocket scientist move. 1996, Keith Booth could have had Steven Jackson. 1998, extend the dynasty. They picked Corey Benjamin. Richard Lewis was there. Also, Katino Mobley. It was year they it, you could always bet on one thing that Kraus was going to get it wrong, and people say, "Well, he found Steve Kerr. Get out of here." Yes, he figured out that a, that a guy who could stand in the corner and shoot jump shots, who tries really hard, is a good fit with Michael. Doesn't take a genius. I'm sorry, it doesn't, and it doesn't take a genius to tw- trade Purdue for Dennis Rodman. The one thing he did was trade for Scotty, and it was brilliant. But then look how they treated Scotty. 
They treated him so bad that he took the summer for himself and punted on the first 35 games of the 98 season. Now think about that. Scotty's in the middle of a championship run. They're going for a three-peat. He's playing with Michael Jordan. It's the greatest time of his career. And his mindset was one of, you know what, you guys have screwed me so bad that I'm going to sit out the the first half of the season and I'm never going to play for you again. Now he finally came to his senses. But why that environment was created, it was so incredibly unnecessary. And then you look at the end of it. Who in their right mind thinks they have a crystal ball and can actually predict when a dynasty is over? Think about how long the Patriots have gone along and how close they've been and how many titles they've won. Did they think they were going to get five and six with with Tom? Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But the point is you don't get rid of the guy until he's, okay, fine, he's 43 years old. A little bit different, right? But the Bulls and Jerry Krause, in in his wisdom, this team's too old, they can't do it anymore. How in the world do you know that, A, and B, and probably more importantly, who in their right mind would ever bet against Michael Jordan? Seriously, does that make any sense to anyone? And how it was allowed to happen is just incredibly upsetting. But the Jerry Krause part of it, and most people I hear when they talk about Krause, he built two titles, that I'm sorry, he was operating with the greatest player to ever play anything that made his moves look a whole lot better. Does anybody really think that Scottie Pippen would have turned into Pippen without Michael? I don't. Give him credit. There's a lot of guys that were on that team that didn't come close to turning into Scottie Pippen, and he did it. But again, they had the greatest luxury, the greatest driver, the greatest leader demander ever and it made things look a whole lot better that being said I'm enjoying the doc it was a tremendous six years at at six titles and the whole career was incredible my favorite parts were actually leading up to the first championship like the championship years were great but that's why I want I'm so happy that Jason Harris like I mean the Michael Jordan of documentary makers right this guy's incredible so looking forward to episode three and four, and of course the podcast uh, next week, we will break that one down, but just my thoughts on uh, Jerry Krause and that being underlined in episodes one and two. Let's move on to our guy, the Catman, ESPN 1000, NBC Sports, Chicago. I'm a little emotional, and uh, I, I had to call to my guy, uh, David Kaplan, ESPN 1000, NBC Sports Chicago. Cappy, thank you for taking a moment here as we recap episode one and two. Did you cry? Because I did twice. No, I did not cry at all, Mark. <laughs> You're unbelievable. But I was thoroughly entertained. Even got my wife to uh, watch with me, and it was simply awesome. And everyone I've talked to who has reviewed the first eight episodes – uh, nobody has seen the last two because they're not done yet. Uh, but the first eight episodes, I've talked to four different people that have watched them, and they said these two are good. The next six are insanely amazing. You got to be kidding me! Because that was flat out incredible. 
to go yeah. back to they went first of all things I learned I pride myself on knowing literally everything and there was a lot in there that I didn't know after game one against the Celtics in 86 he's on the golf course with Danny Ainge and he tells Danny Ainge as a young guy tell your guy DJ I've got something special for him tomorrow I mean come yeah. on yeah that was awesome <laughs> I, I, that was literally awesome. I there, there's something I don't think it's in here that I heard from someone in the league I was talking to this week. Said we'll see if they put it in, but that Michael picked up Kevin McHale at the hotel game day, game day of a playoff game, took him to play golf in Chicago, and it was still chilly out, and they played golf, and then Michael drove him to the arena and said, "By the way." I'm going to crush you guys tonight and got like 45. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I just didn't know he had the relationship with those guys at that point. He, he, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. he's, he's second year in the league. What what was your reaction? A lot of people are – It's I'm getting split on my text chain here. Some people are feeling bad for Jerry. Some people are laughing at Jerry. How do you think Kraus uh, – I mean, what was your feeling? Were you feeling sympathetic towards him watching it or no? Uh, no, I actually was not. Uh, and you know, I think he's did a very good job. And you know, you heard a lot of guys say Jerry did a great job. Do I feel sympathy towards him? No, because I think I was right in the middle of that stuff, Mark. I mean, I had my own run in with him. I think he brought a lot of it on himself. Was he a good executive? Yes. Did he build around Michael twice? Yes. But a lot of this he put on himself. And the fact that he was so anti-Phil Jackson, I still cannot believe that they let it get to this level. It still blows me away. Right, and that was interesting, too, with Jerry, as in Reinsdorf, and he said that I had to step in here, I flew out to Montana, I sat down with Phil, and they come out, and he's got a $6 million deal. Why that didn't happen? I was also told that in that same meeting that uh, he – offered Phil a multi-year deal, which Phil rejected. Oh, that's interesting. What yeah. what was your feeling about their underlining that Scotty's the 122nd paid player in the league, and Jerry, of course, warned him, don't sign this, seven years, $18 million, bad move. But at some point you would think you would make an exception to the rule and take care of your guy, and he was unwilling to do that. Uh, well, from what I was told, Jerry renegotiated once with Scotty. And then when he offered him this long-term deal, Scotty had had a back injury, serious back injury. And Scotty was able to work past the back injury and then went to Jerry to get long-term security. And Jerry said, it's a terrible deal for you, Scotty. If you're as good as we think you're going to be, you are going to be in here in a year. And I'm just telling you. I have a policy in this organization. I do not redo deals. And he had done something to help extend Scotty's deal for him. And Scotty said, I don't care. I had a back injury. I got to make sure my family's taken care of. And Scotty even said that in the episode tonight. And Jerry said, okay, don't come back in here in a year and tell me you made a mistake. Because I am telling you now, do not sign this deal. And Scotty signed it. So, in the end, it's on Scotty Pippen. Sure, but if you're Jerry and you're, you just – ultimately, I would think you realize, you know what, for my own benefit right now, 
I'd rather have this guy happy and take care of him for all he's done. Uh-huh. He, and then what happens to the next guy who walks in? Right. I, I, well, I, I, and, for me, and it's. Michael, and, and you heard Michael say tonight, hey, man, I just said to him, he's not, this is Jerry Reinsdorf. He's a businessman. He is not going to renegotiate your deal. We knew. Jerry, it didn't matter who you were. Jerry would treat you right. If you signed it, you better live up to it, period. It, there, it was interesting that Michael kept a pretty Jerry Reinsdorf on his sideline on that part of it. Scotty was wrong. Yeah. Scotty shouldn't have waited the whole summer. You're putting it all on my shoulders, which I liked that it was named. He, he liked that. You're, it was perfect for him. You guys will be gone. Okay, you're going to be gone. I'll prove that I can win without you, and then you can come on back and, and we'll go win a title. He loved mm-hmm. that challenge. Ah. Yeah, no question about it. So, all right. Biggest takeaway from the from episode one and two for you, David Kaplan? Uh, biggest takeaway that Michael Jordan absolutely wants you to know he's the GOAT. 100%. 100% he wants you to know he's the freaking GOAT. And don't ever, ever come around here with LeBron James, the 73-win Warriors, any of that. None of you were in his league, and that's the truth. And Jerry Krause is going to take a lot of hits on this because, again, may he rest in peace, but you've got to find a way to – I'm not talking about breaking it up after 98, whatever the case may be. I'm talking about the grinding nature of him and the relationship throughout the 90s. you got to, you got to find a way to – find common ground with your coach and your players yep it's interesting that you say that he wants everybody to know that he's the goat because I didn't have that thought once the whole night I mean that where did you sort of key in on that uh just everything about how hard you know let's not forget he is the executive producer of this documentary sure and nothing gets on there that he doesn't want you to see and the fact that you know, he's yelling at Ron Harper, and he's yelling at Scott Burrell, and he's yelling at whoever, and we know he punched Steve Kerr. He doesn't care, man. He wants you to know I'm the greatest freaking player of all time. <sighs> I really, really, really had a good time tonight, Cappy. I, I, I just had – oh, it, it was spectacular. It was spectacular. What What are you going to leave with on the show tomorrow? What's your angle? Um, Probably just – that I think this is a great jumping off point for the Bulls franchise to have new management and for them to be able to go to players and go, that's the way it was. And we're going to get it back to that again. And you say to a free agent, to a rookie, you draft who you believe is going to be a really good player. I'm not talking about like some kid in the second round. And you say, Hey, are you good enough to get us back to that level? Cause that's where we're at. hundred percent challenge people. Yeah, I, I, they need from that standpoint. It's good that they have a fresh start because they and yeah. they're they're very much in need of one. All right, Cappy, I know. What it's, was your biggest takeaway? So, well, just things that I didn't know. Number one, the Pacers game with Stan Albeck, and there's 31 seconds to go. I knew that Pax had thrown in the game winner, but I did not remember that Jordan had gone off in that game and was was out of his mind. That was those highlights um, just jumped off the page for me. 
Um, yeah, when they made him take him out of the game and with 14 seconds left, he's begging Stan Albeck to put him back in. Yeah, I and just sitting there, and Gene Banks is holding his hand because he knows it's just an absolute miserable moment for Jordan who's had this incredible game and they're not going to let him play the final 30 seconds. How much he wanted to get into the playoffs, all that was was sweet. I was hoping they were going to show the Bullets game that year where they clinched getting in the playoffs at home that I was at. Jordan shot 12 for 36 in that game for the record. I was sitting behind the bucket. It was a great seat, Cappy. But uh, they didn't show that. I loved him on the 10 speed riding around UNC. I thought that James. Yep. I thought that James Worthy's comment. I was better than Michael for about two weeks. I thought that was a yeah. that was hysterical. Uh, that was. And yeah, I, it was uh, it was amazing. Uh, you know what I also appreciate, and I'll let you go. The fact that they were smart enough to go back to I believe it was the 60 minutes interview that. Diane Sawyer did in 86 or 87 and James and Dolores were in there and they clearly went and got all the footage that was not aired and the way they were inc- able to incorporate James that was brilliant brilliant producing by Jason O'Hare that that was phenomenal really smart yeah, yeah it was spectacular the whole thing was just spectacular <sighs> all right so, brother you know they didn't have an interview with I thought they missed um you know, Roy Williams said we heard he was going to come to our camp. We heard he was good. That's not even half the story because Roy wasn't there uh, that morning at the gym Michael was at. The true story is because one of my dear friends, Eddie Fogler, was the other assistant. It was the staff was Bill Guthridge, Eddie Fogler, and Roy Williams with Dean Smith, the head coach. It might be the greatest staff in the history of college basketball. And in that camp. They got a call. This kid is really good. You guys should look at him. They're like, yeah, okay, we know every kid in the state of North Carolina. There's no way this guy's as good as you're telling us he is. And they said, trust us. You got to go see him. So Eddie Fogler's job was to go open up all the gyms on campus because they had so many kids. They used multiple buildings. And he said, I got to the first building. Kids are all waiting outside. I unlock it, and there's Jordan. He goes, so I figure, oh, I got a second here. I got to go open these other buildings up. And he goes in to start watching Michael, and he said he's pick, playing pickup before the camp starts with a bunch of kids. He goes, I forgot to go open the other buildings. I was mesmerized. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God. Wait a minute. Who the hell is that? There's no way that's that kid. And it is. And by the end of the week, he'd backed off a commitment to Appalachian State and gone to North Carolina. That's unbelievable. It's mm-hmm. it, and that would not happen nowadays, right? Mike Jordan would have been on seventeen different AAU teams. Would it just different time? There's no way somebody like that goes as undiscovered as he was. Not that he wasn't, you know, obviously completely undiscovered. He ended up at the University of North Carolina, but they, it was late, really. And yeah. and Scotty's story is. How about Scotty being the, the manager? See, I remembered him being the manager, but like those highlights that they were able to find, I mean, good God. And I know that you were, back in the day, why don't you tell the story before you go real fast here. You were working for the Bulls, right, and they had you at a camp, and you were you were actually assigned to go watch number 57, who was Scotty Pippen. Is that true? That's a true story. Yeah, Jerry Krause had called my house, my parents' house, where I was living, and on my recorder – I had this message, and I thought it was a buddy of mine 
by the name of David Abrams, who does this amazing Jerry Krause impersonation. <laughs> and I come home and on my recorder, we didn't have voicemail then. My recorder, it's David Jerry Krause. Please call me at the Bulls office. It's 943-7200. That was the number. And so I call my buddy Abrams and I'm like, real effing funny, Duck. That's his nickname, Duck. And he's like, what are you talking about? I said, I got you, Jerry Krause deal uh that was your impersonation spot and he's like dude i'm in the middle of something at work i don't know what you're talking about i did not call you and imitate jerry kraus so i called the bulls offices and i said hi i'm trying to reach jerry kraus uh he left me a message david cavill oh yeah thanks david he's waiting for your call he invites me to come down the next day and starts assigning me college games to go scout for him says he's looking to add to his staff then he has me scout the bulls and he has me scout the opponents and wants to test my X and O knowledge as well as evaluating players. And he has me come to the 1987 pre-draft camp. And there's this kid number, he was either 57 or 58. And he's like, all right, do not tell anyone who you're looking at. Just tell me what you think of him. And I watch him. I'm like, that kid's sensational. I go, where do you have him projected? He said, well, coming into camp, he was a third round pick. I'm like, no chance. He said, yeah, I'm afraid he's already played his way into the second round. And the next day I watched him, and Jerry came up to me and said, yeah, you don't have to watch him anymore. That kid's going in the top ten, and we don't have a pick. I don't know if we can get there. That's when he got creative and made a deal for Olden Polonese for Scotty, and boom, it was done. So, and I've always given him credit for that outside of the fact that I've been like, the guy only drafted one perennial all-star. But, yes, the perennial all-star was Scottie Pippen. But watching last night and how good he was and knowing, I think he knew what he was getting in, in, in Pippen, I give him even more credit because he knew he had to have that guy and, and, he, and that he was going to fit with Michael. And that I don't know if he had the vision that it was going to be the perfect guy, but maybe he did, and it absolutely was. Yeah, it was the right guy, and Jerry knew what he was getting, and he loved Joe Wolf out of uh, yeah. North Carolina, and Doug Collins loved Horace Grant. And he, Jerry liked Horace Grant. I was there then. He liked him. He had this thing for Joe Wolf, and then they got in this argument draft night. Reinsdorf was the tie-breaking vote because the guys were all voting, and Jerry said, okay, the majority wants Horace Grant. We're taking Horace Grant. So yeah, it was it was some crazy times, man. Cappy worked for Kraus. It's one of the your one of your great claims to fame for the record. Yeah, yeah, pretty funny. So all right, we'll hear you tomorrow, anyway. baby. ESPN one thousand, and then uh, Sports Talk Live in the in the evening, six thirty tomorrow night. Six thirty tomorrow night, and we will have uh, you know radio will be all over it tomorrow. It's about all we're going to talk to. And uh, Tuesday on my radio show, Rod Thorns on with it. So. All right. I think Billy McKinney on Wednesday. There you go, baby. All right, Rod Thorne on Tuesday, Billy McKinney Wednesday. Cappy, you're the best. You too. God bless. Thanks to the cat man as we bring in my guy, Ethan Blumenthal. Uh, Ethan, you're here for emotional support, I, to be honest. I, 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 I just need someone to talk to. Are you cool with that? 
I'm absolutely cool with it, and I just want you to know that I'm always here for you for some emotional support whenever you need it, day or night, 2 a.m., 4 p.m., whatever you need. So I, I, I very much appreciate this. We're, we're recording it at 1045 after the last dance, and um, thank you. You're a good friend, and you're an incredible talent, and you're going to dominate the industry, and we all know this. So I don't know what it was tonight, but right when it started, I – felt like this instant bubble of emotion, which was just bizarre. And then when they went to break, I think the second break, and I forget what was being underlined, but it was one of the younger seasons, and 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 I was worried that they weren't going to do justice to his rookie year stuff. And they did a great damn job, and an old-school Chicago stadium – I, I had a tear in my eye watching the damn last dance, and I was not expecting that, Ethan Blumenthal. I don't know if you felt any emotions. I don't think you will because of, we had a little bit of a generation gap here. But for me, it was it was really something. So, first of all, I feel like perhaps it's possible that I know you better than you know yourself because knowing you the way that I do, I know that um, you know there's a Michael Jordan poster or a sticker on the back of your laptop. Uh, is that correct? <laughs> yeah, that is correct. And so I, I, I could I'm, have said that if I knew anyone in the world that was going to shed a tear during the last dance, I, I knew it was going to be Mark Harmon. So that doesn't really surprise me at all. Um, and I, I, so here, here I'll just say this quickly about my, my Bulls fandom. So like I've mentioned many times, I was born in 91. So in 1998, I was seven years old. My memory from the 90s Bulls and Michael Jordan, and I, and I, could, get, I could cry talking about this, was going to the games with my family. Uh, my mom, I remember, used to get a couple tickets th- through her work, and I was like, the only way you could go, because, you know, I mean, it was expensive, it was whatever, um, and just the opening when they say number 23 at guard, Michael Jordan, you're just, it's like, you start, I mean, it makes me want to cry right now, the goosebumps, and, like, I will have that memory forever in my little Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan jersey. I still have them at home. Uh, you know, there's like I got youth youth mediums like in the gold, the black, and the red, um, and so that's my my memory. So it definitely gives me goosebumps, and I am excited to watch the last dance and, and the rest of the episodes, and et cetera. And it's excited to hear how much and all, how often you cry during it. So, and Cap just underlined that he's been told that the first two episodes were really, really good. But episodes three through eight, now no one has seen nine and ten because they're not done, but he says they're beyond, just off the charts. And I'm like, hold on a second, because that was frigging phenomenal. So whatever, I can't wait for next Sunday night. Um, You know, I went before the last dance tonight. I drove over to the United Center at like five o'clock. I'm like, I'm going to do a video in front of the Jordan statue. Cause I just felt like I would go talk to Mike and you know get yeah. as close as I could. But of course the doors were locked security. I, 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 and there's all these signs there, COVID-19. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I was not supposed to be there and, but I, not, <laughs> but I, but I'm like rattle. I'm, I'm trying to open up the door and the security guy opens up. He's like pointing at the signs. Do you see it was, we're closed. I'm like, what about a media shot with, with the, the Jordan statue. Yeah, nobody told us anything about that. I'm like, right, yeah. No no one did tell you that Carm was going to be showing up here at 5 o'clock. Um, so I'll go stand in front of this Bulls trailer and just do a video there. So I did. And then I went over and I went to one of the hoop courts, 
and I was mimicking Jordan's shot against uh, Byron Russell, and I'm doing the push-off, and I'm trying to get it on tape, and I'm missing jumper after jumper after jumper after jumper. I'm like, it's getting late. It's almost 7 o'clock right now. But finally I got one to go down, and so and I look at it. It's like, oh, it's 23 seconds. It's so perfect. This is, it's going to be a great episode tonight. Picked up my Mediterranean food. Forgot the lentil soup for the record. Chelsea was very upset. And then... Ooh. Yeah, it's tough. You got that's rough. Yeah. I mean, lentil soup, good lentil soup, can be really good. And it's you know, it's chilly at, at night, especially. So I'm feeling for Chelsea there. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah. then we just sat down and enjoyed it. I just top. I'm going to try to riff off here. Top five things that I loved the most from the episode one and two. Uh, I had forgotten that Pippin delayed his surgery leading into the '97 '98 season as a fu to management that I'll rehab during the season. I'm not going to blow my summer. I thought that was, whoa. And Michael naming it clearly like Scotty was wrong. And then Michael just being okay with it because, all right, so more's on my shoulders. I don't mind that. I'd like to prove that I can, even at this elderly age, I can still lead us to victory. Um, I thought that was that was a good reminder. And Phil being on Scotty's side too, that nope, didn't, didn't, didn't hold it against him. He was pissed. He had signed this incredibly long-term deal, and and it was he was woefully underpaid. And they all understood his motivation, so they they did him a solid. Um, I thought that was super interesting. Michael say taunting Dennis Johnson, not Dennis Johnson, telling Danny Ainge to taunt Dennis Johnson that he's got something special for him before he scores sixty-three in the Garden. That was incredible. Um, his conversations with Stan Albeck around the minute restrictions was amazing. And the Bulls and Jerry Cross is gonna take a lot of hits here. Just he's just gonna he's gonna get whacked and he deserves all of it. Um and seeing Michael kind of look at him and say, We gotta lower the basket for you so we if you want to get in the layup line. See, now that that's like, come on, man. Like I'm I'm I mean, I'm 5'10. I don't need the basket lowered. I mean, Jerry's I know he's five six, but for all us short guys, we can get it up there, man. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that I, I actually felt I felt a little bit of a Michael Hayes coming my way on that one. Yeah, I I will say, and first of all, you know I'm right there with you on that on that five ten level. We've, I know we've talked about the what, what it means to be five ten for a guy, but um, the biggest three things that I got out of the documentary at first were one was yes, how much everyone loves Jerry Krause. Uh, seems like the most beloved person in Chicago <laughs> sports history, so that's really fun. The second was probably how insanely large the suits that these guys wore back then. Yeah. And it's always funny when you look at the when you look at like the old NBA drafts in like two thousand and ninety seven and eighty five, whatever, and they're wearing these suits that are seventeen sizes bigger than they would wear them now, and it's just that's always hilarious to me. Um and then the last and most the biggest thing was that people forget now, the like kids now, right? Everyone's like LeBron, 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 but you forget that even as a rookie, I mean, Jordan took over the world. He, he took over the world for that, his entire career, and people forget that, and it's awesome to see that on display so that the whole world is like, oh, yeah, he was that good. So they, he was, and they kind of fudged it a little bit there. Like that Bulls team his rookie year, they were 38-44. and 44. I mean, they, they, they didn't even play 500 basketball. And his third year – they were 40 and 42. Now he had Drek around him. I'm not trying to take a drop right. away from him, but they kind of made it out like 
it was a little bit better record wise than it actually was. Like they weren't they weren't crushing the league. They were a, they were a 500 team, and uh, they were in very much in need of a talent infusion, which of course came with Pippen and Grant and the trade for Cartwright. And that was another thing too. Michael saying, Char- "Yeah, Charles is a good friend of mine, uh, but Bill was a better but Bill was a better fit." And at the mm-hmm. time, Jordan hated that deal, so he had. It it was interesting that he did not even touch on the fact that uh, at, at the time he was super pissed because he didn't like it at all when they dealt his good buddy Oakley. But, or maybe he was even you know what's you know what's interesting? Perhaps he was fronting at that point and actually wanted Oakley out of there, and but he wanted it to make it seem to Oakley that he cared. That'd be an interesting question I would ask him. I I don't if I was getting to be in the documentary. Which by the way, the one thing they did miss, they should have had a highlight of him spiking the ball versus the Washington Bullets, which clinched their playoff berth in year two to go ahead and uh, meet, beat the Celtics or meet the Celtics. They didn't have that in there. I was at that game. It should have been in the documentary. little clip from that game just because Carmen was there, just for the record. Basically, any time Mark Carmen was there, it should have been in a documentary. I, and, in fact, you got to be a little pissed that you didn't get any mention so far, at least episodes one and two. Maybe there's more coming for you later. You're just kind of playing coy with me. I, Are you going to be in the documentary later on? I'm really, really hoping that somewhere in some 98 footage, you just see a young Carm. I'm so, and or that I ask one question, which I know I didn't do because all I did was hang out in the visitors' locker rooms and try to talk to like Allen Iverson, who no one was talking to. Because Jordan, you you would be you know ten rows back unless you stood outside the their locker room in at halftime to wait for position, which maybe I should have done, but I always wanted to watch the game. And then, you know, and, and you're in a herd with seven yeah. zillion people. So I just, I, I wanted to have the one-on-one conversations, but maybe going back on it, maybe I, maybe I blew it. I should just focused on Michael. You know, you can't live in this world of regret, Carm. You got it. You did what you did and you stand by it. You got to You're here to watch the game, man. I always say that about any sporting event. You know, I don't like to go spend an hour getting food, whatever. You, you know, you go to watch the game, and so don't don't live in that regret world. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. All right, Ethan, good to be with you, man. I can't wait for Always episode. Always a pleasure. Yep, yeah. three and four coming up next week. Thank you for being with us. Last dance. I know everyone's liking it. Uh, I want to hit me up on Twitter. Let's talk. I, I need to talk this through like daily now uh, at the Carm, and uh, and he can pass is where you get Ethan Blumenthal. All right. We'll Appreciate see, it. We'll see you next time. Dude, good job. Thanks. You're, thanks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.